0: Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. And this week it's myself and Andy Dunn, the Daily Mirror's deadly duo on the show. Lots to look at this week as we'll be asking Big Ange, Is the cuddly pasta-coglu mask beginning to slip? What's eating, Big Ange? Chelsea's media darling, Mauricio Pochettino, does it feel like he's under pressure? Should he be under pressure? I'm sure Andy has got some, some words and views on that. What a strange transfer window as well. So many stories. Let's be honest, are we all trying to turn it into something that really it's not at the moment? Because the reality is so few clubs... Can do business. I mean, they've got their money; they just can't spend it. Jordan Henderson is he coming back to the Premier League with the t- with his tail between his uh, legs? It probably looks as if uh, as if he is. But let's start with last night, Andy, and Liverpool's Carabao Cup semi final with Fulham. What 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 did you make of that game? And then also Liverpool's chances now are they are they favourites? Do you think to to reach Wembley? I think they are
1: favourites. I mean, they're in very good form. I think Fulham will be kicking themselves, John, after you know. Probably spending a, a really good chance to go two 0 up, um, allowing Liverpool to get some momentum late in the game. But then again, they'll probably be thankful that it finished two you know, one. Liverpool are a team that can score, you know, uh, goals in, in in bursts, and they did that last night with those two. They could have had more, you know. They could even feel the stronger side down at Graven Cottage in a return leg. They'll be favourites, but you know. I, th- I thought it was a really good game, really enjoyable game, really good advert for the tournament itself, the competition itself. And you know, while Liverpool are favourites, I don't think Fulham fans, you know, sh- should by any means be ruled out to trip to Wembley. I thought they were quite good last night. At Fulham I thought they played it nicely. Um, just the whole the whole semi finals have been, you know, the lineup is it- it's a good lineup, isn't it? You know, you would expect Chelsea and Liverpool to go through, but now, you know, but have the edge going into that game. Again, Chelsea would probably still be favourites even though they're one down. Liverpool would be favourites even though they're going away for the second leg. But, you know, you wouldn't rule out borough Fulham, And that's why the Cup
0: still has a place in 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 the calendar. I'll tell you what the other interesting thing for me is that basically this could be the last season of FA Cup turn fourth round replays. And it could also be the final season of the two-legged Carabao Cup semi-finals. Good or bad? Because I tell you what, I've enjoyed this this week. I think the two semi-finals have been good. I also think it's not as if. And listen, the the, the perils of this two semi-finals. If you get a big winner in the first one, the second leg, you know dead rubber no, no one's interested but these two games were alive I thought they were really good contests I think you were spot on in your analysis that you know Fulham at 1-0 played it well we're on the break you know Bobby Cordova Reid you know nearly goes through they had other chances besides they really played it nicely and could have got a result and you know everyone knows well I know I love going to Craven Cottage and it'll be a good rip-roaring atmosphere Chelsea have got to turn around that game you know and I do think it was a decent advert for the two-legged semi-final. Yes, so
1: do I. In the same way that we that we really, really enjoy the European two-legged semi-finals, you know, which it had it adds a new dynamic. I know what you're saying that games can be done and dusted um, after the first leg, but that you know that, that very seldom happens, and even. You know, I mean, I think it happened in it. Didn't City beat Burton 9 0 or something in one first leg of a semi final once? And, uh, but it very rarely happens. And it just adds a different dynamic to the occasion, doesn't it? A different dynamic to the game. I, I, I'm, listen, I understand that there's got to be changes to the calendar. I think you're the same as me. You're a traditionalist at heart. But even us, even we can't, um, see a future for third round FA Cup replays or fourth round FA Cup replays. Um and sadly, I think the two-legged EFL Cup um semi-finals might go the same way, but I hope not, because I just think it, it it just adds something different to the dynamic of, of a tie. And also, you know, I, I I think you look at the some of the players that Liverpool played and Fulham played uh, um last night. It gives people a chance, you know, to it gives managers a chance to, to to basically get some players in who are not getting game time. You know, young players like them, and and I just don't see any harm in it at all at the moment. And don't forget, it comes at a time as well where you've got this this mini winter break. So in a way, it's not adding any particular excess strain to the demands on Liverpool, Fulham,
0: Chelsea, or Borough. I tell you what, Andy, one of the guys, one of the players that caught my eye last night, Liverpool. You know, really went full, you know, strength, obviously a couple of changes, you know, um, goalkeeper and then basically, you know, sort of Bradley at full back, um, obviously enforced really through uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold being out for a while. Um, I thought, he, I thought he, was, he, he looked really good, didn't he? But the one that's really catching my eye in every single game at the moment is Curtis Jones, you know, does something good, doesn't he? I tell you what, there's, there's always a player that that kind of steps into the fall. I think in tournament year, it's tournament year. It's tournament. You know, he's he's sort of kind of six months away. I tell you what, England are looking for that sort of driving midfielder. I think.
1: Oh, they are. They, they are. I mean, the irony would be if he preferred someone like Curtis Jones to Jordan Henderson, wouldn't they? You know, it, it was you know probably you know obviously ahead of um, Curtis Jones. And when Jones had that spell, didn't he? Um, when things weren't going. Um, particularly great for him at Liverpool, only a short spell. But ironically, when you talk about England, I think what was really not a turning point, but an important time in his career was when he was an outstanding player for the under-21s when when they won the Euros, you know, and he was absolutely integral to that success. And he has always, and I think Southgate puts great store in this, he's always been one of those players that, you know, um, has committed himself 100% to the under-21s. You get players who break into club sides like Curtis Jones did, into elite club sides like Liverpool are, who sometimes maybe think, you know, their under-21 days should be, you know, they should be focusing on senior representation. He hasn't been one of those. And I think that will stand him in good stead. He, as I say, he had a spell, I think, where where um, he, he, he fell out of, not didn't fall out of the reckoning, of Liverpool, but, but certainly wasn't as prominent as he is now. But now he's performing fantastically well, and as you say, he's catching the eye. He's dynamic, and he is a player. Listen, I do think, I do think that um, Gareth has, you know, many options in there now. I know he t- tends to go for the tried and trusted, but you look at players who are playing well around around the league. You think, you think I mean, off the top of your head, you know, Conor Gallagher for example, Conor Gallagher, Cole Palmer, I know he's just like more different position. Curtis Jones now, James Ward-Prowse even. Hopefully, it will be a tough battle. But he's right in there, the way he's playing. And he, he's full of confidence, isn't he, John? He really is full of absolute, you know, he, he's, he's got a swagger about him, hasn't he, that comes from being a local lad,
0: strutting his stuff on, on the big stage in his city. Yeah, I really like him. I think he's, I think he's got some potential. And I think he's, uh, you know, England are maybe missing that player. Phillips isn't playing. You know, Phillips may be you know, uh, needs to secure that move. But Phillips is, you, you know, so so often been that one that drives from midfield, you know, is kind of really sort of kind of uh, sets off and provides a balance with Rice, you know, and the basic one stays, one drives, and it's just a nice midfield balance. That's when England are at their best in midfield, you know, because I just think you've, you know, I know people immediately say Jude Bellingham, well, Jude Bellingham, you kind of got to get the best out of him, I think, by playing him further forward, you know, so, you know, so I do think England suddenly, you know, if there's one area where I think there's one place up for grabs, I do think it could yet be in that central midfield
1: zone. Well, well surely, mate. I mean, I mean, I mean, surely how long can he, you know, we've got these midfield players um playing really well, English midfield players in the Premier League. How long can he be loyal? And this we all we all know that Garrett's loyalty is a in general. A positive, you know, he's shown that, you know, in a way he's been loyal to Harry Maguire, for example, who's, who's come through this sticky batch. We all know his loyalty can be a positive, but how long do he be loyal to two players, right? Henderson and Phillips, one who's just not playing football, simple as that. And then, okay, let's hope Phillips does get a move and he can play some football, but he's not playing any football. And the other who's basically playing in, in, a, in a rubbish league and wants to come home, you know. So, how long while we've got dynamic players such as Jones, such as Gallagher, such as Cole Palmer, such as Ward Prowse. I can probably, I'm probably missing out loads as well. Uh, how long can we keep, you know, Jacob Ramsey? Even let's like put him into the mix. How long can Gareth kind of Southgate remain loyal to Henderson and Phillips? It seems quite a bizarre situation. Obviously, next squad not announced until England don't play until March, do they? the, the, the next games. Fascinating to see what what he does. I'm fascinated to see where Henderson and Phillips end up. Obviously.
0: I think the uh, the window is very much open for, for those two. And We will come up to uh, on onto Jordan Henderson. But let's stay with the subject of Carabao Cup and the semi-finals because, you know, Middlesbrough beat Chelsea 1-0. Chelsea had clearly had chances um, to win the game in the first half and then just couldn't make their possession and pressure count in the second. Afterwards, you know, you see Maurizio Pochettino is under under pressure The players a little bit reluctant to go away to the very dissatisfied away um, fans. Thiago Silva, really, at 39 years of age, was smart enough, wise enough, old enough to understand the importance of that and to say thanks to them. But it, it felt like all of a sudden, because of that and because of issues around and Pochettino has been there for six months, we can't get away from that, that basically... Is he making enough an impression? I mean, listen, I, for what it's worth, I think it's far too soon to even be talking about, um, you know, him being under pressure. But this is Chelsea, and I know it's a new Chelsea, but it's Chelsea's, you know, reputation from the past, which which immediately puts managers, you know, in the spotlight and, and gets questions being asked. Well, where do you think, uh, Andy? Because I know we we'll always have this laugh when we about, you know, is, is Pochettino getting a bit of an easy ride at the moment from the media? Well, yeah. I mean, listen, let's face
1: it. You know what I think. He, he has always had an easy ride. Sim- simple as that. He's an engaging character. He's a good coach. He's top the team playing some really good football. Um, but he's always had um, an easy ride. Um, as simple as that. He's getting one now. When I say he's getting one now, he is. But I, I agree with you. The, the, the problems are clearly more deep-rooted. I mean, Pochettino, I don't care what, though, he comes in and he's got um, a big squad, um, with a lot of talent in it, albeit disparate talent, maybe scattergun transfer policy, that hasn't really got any joined-up thinking behind it. But the bottom line is, is that he's won what? I think it's 12 of his 26 matches in charge at Chelsea. That's not enough. That really isn't enough. However, if you go back, then it's just continuing a theme. You know, I think since the start of last season, they've lost 31 games. It's an astonishing amount of games for a team like Chelsea to lose since the beginning of last season. So a season and a half, essentially, they've lost 31 football matches. That's, that's unbelievable. I mean, I, I wouldn't even begin to tell you how long it is. Um, it takes someone like Manchester City um, to, to lose 31 matches, but I'm sure it's probably five years or something like that. So the problems are clearly deep-rooted. And the problems now are, are obviously go back to when Todd Boley and clearly Capital took over. And went on this remarkable spending spree without any seeming plan. To be honest with you, so so Pochettino is now left with this with this rather bizarre lopsided squad where they haven't got really a proven goal scorer, and that's been the issue. I, I, I I've covered many of their games this season, and it's it, it really is the same thing every time. I covered them against. I was at the Everton game when Everton won two 0 and for sixty minutes of that game, they were the better team. Um, and But then when they got into the final third, they just lacked any sort of um, um, incision, any sort of decisiveness um, or, you know, a, 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 any clinical finishing. And that clearly was the problem up at the Riverside the other night. So, yes, I think he deserves more time. Should he be under scrutiny? Yes. How long did Graham Potter get? How long was it until about three quarters of a season in the end? Was it that much?
0: It was, wasn't it? I think it was about March 8th. I think he took over... Almost at the end of the yeah September, really time wasn't it? March, April, didn't he? Frank took over the last few games. So,
1: yes, more time, but it is Chelsea. And the bottom line is: is no matter what you think of that squad, is is getting the best out of those players? No. Um, do we know what sort of style of football Chelsea going to play week in week out? No. Um, all we know is that they, they they will do okay in games and and be absolutely, I mean, largely ineffective in most games in the final third. That's something he's got to sort out. Um, I don't think he'd be sacked now, um, and I suspect that they'll give him until the end of the season. But but yes, he should be under scrutiny, no doubt about it. And yes, it, he, the answer to your question is
0: you're getting an easy ride. Yes, he is. Yeah, from people like me, I suspect, I do buy into that kind of easy style and a bit of a joke in a press conference and what have you. But the other, my, my point is this, that basically he's been left almost plucking random fullbacks out of a hat that team has no identity that team is such a you know is born out of a scattergun approach in the transfer market that team has no you know um it's almost like no first choice 11 you know who's your first pick who who's who's your goalkeeper who's your back four and that's the thing that particularly gets me I don't think he's found quite the right balance in midfield even though I really like Conor Gallagher what a crazy situation that is by the way because honestly his his future is by no means certain you know I still think with 18 months left the the the, the fans really like him you know I think he's terrific I think he's really putting in good performances but is he going to sign is he going to stay will he be sold will he be sacrificed to bring other players in they haven't got a number 9 You know, I don't know at what point you can blame the manager and say this is on him for that smash of a terrible, unbalanced, disjointed, you know, bloated squad or that you have to blame the recruitment or the kind of the actual, I'll tell you what, you actually have to blame the kind of the whole operation because there's lots of players there that are not doing themselves justice, not getting game time. Well, they probably need to be moved on. And, they, you know, they're not even being able to do that. It's a, it's a mess, basically. And I'm not sure that's all what Pochettino has made. The thing is, I mean, the Gallagher
1: situation, you know, is, is incredible. In, in the Clearly, from a profit and sustainability point of view, you know, selling Gallagher will be the best option. But that's only because, I guess, they can't get rid of other players. You know, there's loads of players they need to get rid of, as you say, but how do you get rid of them? If they're not playing, not performing, then who buys them? The market isn't out there for those type of players. So in the end, you know, Manchester City selling Cole Palmer is a great move financially for them in terms of financial fair play because they're the academy graduates. So all 40-odd million pounds is pure profit. That's the system. That's what's engendered. Just out of interest, out of interest. Why Why does Pochettino get an easy ride? And... And, and I'm trying to think what other managers get easy rides. Who
0: gets the easy rides and who gets the hard rides? He 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 he's super smart press wise, and he always he he always gives you an anecdote. He gives you a story. He gives you a little you know funny, and you can't end up but laugh about his you know. An anecdote, whether it was the first game in charge of Espanol, recollection from the past, a little bit of a wise crack, his sort of you know cheeky smile, that sort of thing, and you can't help but like him. And you you, you do also hear from players who's who, who say you know really respect this guy, like this guy a lot. It's not just about being you know good fun and sort of kind of you know being being matesy with journalists. It's beyond that. It really is. But who who. Who else gets it? I don't. You know. I, I...
1: Also, I think Pochettino gets an easiest ride. Also, quite understandably, because of the because of what he did at Spurs and the football he played at Spurs and the atmosphere at Spurs. You know, when they were playing well, at Spurs. You know, they, they were s- superb to watch. Absolutely superb to watch. And for you know for long periods of time. And I think he gets like he, I think he, I think he, he benefits from that, and, and understandably so. I mean, I, I think you know he, he plays football the right way. So, so that's no problem. I know it's a bit of a, I know it's a bit of a sort of um, bit of a Mickey take from those of us based up north who who, 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 who see him down there. And whatever. You know, else? I think I think Roy gets quite an easy ride, you know. Roy, yeah, I do, I do. I thought, I, yeah, I, I, and I, I love him to bit, but I, I do think he gets quite an, an easy ride re- results wise. I really do, and and he can be. We'll come on to uh, we'll come on to Angie in a bit, I'm sure, but and he can be. Considering he is such a friend of the. Of the press, Roy, he can be, he can be very prickly, can't he? You know, but then he's probably thinking, I can't believe I'm still answering these questions at, you know, at my um experience, let's say stage stage of life. But I think Roy
0: gets quite an easy ride. Eddie Howe's getting a bit of a one now, isn't he? I tell you, the the Andy, the, the the one that made me laugh was that basically yeah, I do think Eddie Howe gets a bit of a. Um, bit of an easy ride, um, frankly, and um, you know he's coming under a bit of scrutiny now. I think he's done this, Let's not kid ourselves here. He's done a super job, but uh, you know, but you, when you spend money and they have spent money, then basically the expectation levels rise, and the ownership means the expectation levels rise. But posing for a picture after the after the Sunderland FA Cup top,
1: Oh come on. We all know whose idea that was. That was Jason Tindall's idea. And I do
0: find that that's slightly odd in that, that dynamic still goes on. Actually, I'll just correct you on that then Andy, because I think you've missed out Jason Tindall's first two names Eddie Howe Jason Tindall because they are joined at the hit, those two and they seem to have this understanding that you are allowed to stand in the technical director uh, technical um uh, area box basically by the edge of the pitch together. Whereas no other manager or assistant manager has allowed such a courtesy in Premier League games. It's ridiculous. Honestly, seriously, you know, it is farcical. I look at, I make a point now of every Newcastle game watching it, every time it happens, every other manager and, and coach get done for it, get told to get back. You know, ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But the
1: the other thing on that, you're spot on actually, and that's worth. I, I tell you what, that's worth a piece for it. But, but I tell you what, I tell you what else about that particular situation you're on about. Yet no one else will get away with it. But also, can you imagine one of the? Can you imagine Klopp or Guardiola actually wanting or allowing one of their number two or whatever, whatever to be alongside them? Not a chance, by the way. You know, you know, they'd be telling them to sit down. There's only one boss there in that technical area, and it's Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. There's no way they'd have their number two shouting instructions alongside them, and and maybe and organising things. It's an interesting dynamic. You know, that it's almost like it. It looks to you, it, 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 it. It smacks of joint managership, of course, which it isn't. You know, and I just don't think. Also, never mind getting done by the authorities for having your assistant there. I don't think the likes of Klopp. Or Guardiola, or indeed probably Arteta, would have uh, with their number two on their shoulder
0: throw the entire game. No, I think you've done something with Linders, haven't you, in a press conference or, or, or whatever. And basically, the, he was a guy who's not who's not backwards and coming forwards. He's not shy of something to say. <laughs> I mean, I remember doing. You know, I think Klopp was ill, and it might have been during lockdown, sort of kind of COVID times, and he did a pre He did sorry, he did a post-match presser. And I can't remember what my question was, but my word, he took me to task. You know, John, what game are you covering? What game did you watch? I mean, it was just, you know, it's just, I mean, it, 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 you know, so, it, it, you're, you're absolutely spot on. This is a guy that would clearly want to have his say on the technical. And he does come in now and again, but, you know, he quickly knows
1: his place. Oh, you're right. Well, only this week, look at Linda's press conference before the Fulham game, when he said, like, you know, and he said, okay, I was joking, but, you know, he, he came in and he said, like you know, I didn't want any negativity around the training complex before this season, and if there was any negativity from anyone, I was going to punch them in the face. You know, and I just it struck me as like quite odd. You know, okay, half joking, but quite an odd thing to say. As you say, he's not backwards and coming forwards. But then again, we could do a whole podcast on number twos and their different approaches throughout the years. You know, it, it, it was the you know you go way back to you know. Um, well, like Clough and Taylor, and I'm way back on that, but oh, interesting. But yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, but in terms of back to the manager, easy ride. I think that Pochettino is getting an easy ride, but I think the focus will come on him. And and um, to be honest with you, I think as the season goes on, there's not many will will get off lightly. Managers, I think. I think there's more. And again, if we come on to and Paster Coglu, I think already he's realizing the the pressure. At that elite level of the Premier League, is is at a different level to anywhere else he have Managed that.
0: Well, let's do that. You know, let's ask what's eating Ange. You know, Pasta Coglu. Because I tell you what, Andy, that guy should be cock-a-hoop. That guy should be. You know. I mean, the Spurs fans love it. Make no mistake about that. You know, and basically, you know, I was at the Burnley Cup tie their last game on last Friday night. You know, and it descends into kind of you know just songs about Postacoglu at the final whistle. It wasn't the greatest game, but when I mean, you know Burnley missed the last gas chance to get an equaliser, that would have been a nightmare for them. It's going so well for them. You know, they're a point off top four. They are, you know, they've done a couple of cute bits of business. He knew that the bits of business, but you see him in press conferences and he's ready to bite, you know, someone's head off. You know, he, he bit sort of kind of someone's head off about sort of kind of, you know, last Thursday. About do you picture yourself with trophies? You know sarcastic answer. And, 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 and hey, listen, the question drew a line. So I'm not knocking the question. It was a smart question, actually. If you're anything about it, um, basically you'd know it's quite a good journalism, actually, because you you drew a question. You you, you actually drew a drew, drew a decent answer. You know, the next night, you know, the guy from from Sky, it was was just asking a perfectly valid question about Eric Dyer being injured, you know, was he was he injured or, you know, was perhaps the interest from Bayern Munich, again, he snapped into you questioning my integrity. Listen, everyone looks at the press conference, sees him calling people mate, thinks it's a term of affection. But I tell you what, underneath, I think there's a bit of, <clears throat> there's angry Ange there, isn't there? I don't know quite quite why, Danny. I don't know, you know, don't, can't quite figure it out because he's doing a hell of a job. He is. He's doing a really good job. But obviously, they had that sticky after the great start of the season. They had
1: that that little um, sticky patch, and and maybe it's just him, you know, almost while he was trying to play down expectation. Well, he wasn't trying to play them down. He said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna you know we're every right, dream about the title every week. Maybe he's realised that you know it's going to be a lot harder in terms of stay competitive right at the very top with with City with Liverpool. With Arsenal, even even though you know they're so close to them, um, and maybe that's just getting to him. But I just generally think, John, that the all round intensity of the Premier League and the top end of the Premier League and the attention on him just must get on his nerves. You know, he comes in all relaxed, you know. He he's happy to get a job that he probably thought that he was that he was not going to um, get. He's happy to be, um, you know. Let's face it, he you know he wasn't first choice, so he feels grateful to be in this job. he's now in this job and it's all consuming it really is all consuming and it's only so you know he might have had a bad morning on the training ground you know some players might have been playing up and then he gets the questions wherever i particularly thought that was the moment you've just said when the question was have you pitched yourself with trophies and then he goes on about i don't need to pitch myself i've got you know i've seen trophies whatever well yes but you you knew what the question meant that's a classic example of where and, and to be fair it reminds me some of his answers reminds me of what what Klopp does, which isn't a bad sign because Klopp's been successful enough. But it's a bit like that, you know. He knows the question. He knows the intention of the question. He knows the guy knows that 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 he's won trophies at uh, clubs he's been to before, notably um, Celtic. But so you don't have to spell out. Have you pictured yourself winning trophies with Spurs? He knows that's the question, but he's just being you know, I say just being smart. I just genuinely think that him now we're halfway in the season and he's had issues, you know, he's got injury issues, but as you said, getting players in, I just did the whole thing. is you know, I think he's probably finding it incredibly intense. And why wouldn't he? And, and if it's all incredibly intense, you've got big game after big game after big game um, and scrutiny and the um, spotlight is on you because you made such a good start and you're quite a character, then it, 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 it's a lot just to be Mr. Happy all the time, isn't it? So I wouldn't have a go with
0: for, for it, but I agree. He's getting a bit prickly and, and I, I don't blame him for it, really. I mean, blimey. I think everyone buying into Raddy Dragerson because basically he's, you know, he's all of a sudden attracted attention from a lot of big clubs. And all of a sudden everyone, you know, is painting him to be this this amazing player. His rapid rise. is remarkable. So let, let's, not, let's not kid ourselves that, you know, that that one, you know, he's almost, I wouldn't say a gamble, and I'm sure they've done their research on him, but that one's, you know, in the sort of kind of, um, tray, if you like. Whereas Timo Werner, I tell you what, I like Timo Werner's signing simply because I think he's a hardworking player, never stops running, never stops working, never stops closing down. Or I wonder which team he might slot into perfectly and Posta Coglu's, because that is the hallmark of what Posta Coglu is about his idea, his formation. His idea tactically of of what how a game should be played, and I do think that that could be a really super shrewd signing that might actually just might give them something of a bit of a top four bounce. I think, and it, it you know, I, let's let's not get ourselves here. Arsenal's form is woeful. Tottenham's is way better. Aston Villa, can they last the course of the season? I think Spurs will think. Oh, there's a couple of teams there we might be able to pick off, and and so. To the top four, and what an achievement that would be because that let's not kid ourselves out here, Andy. At times, Spurs squad has been so thin, and yet they've still managed to get results. It's remarkable what he's done. Poster Cookley
1: Dragerson, I have to confess, you know, I've seen him a couple of times, not really stood out for me, but obviously, there's something there. Bayern Munich wouldn't be, wouldn't be, um, um. On your case and trying to sign you if if you didn't have something about you, although it's slightly odd today, they will now go to Eric Dier rather than rather than this guy. Although this guy has turned him down, which is a good sign for Spurs. He wants to be in London. He wants to be at Tottenham. It's reinforcements. I agree with you on Werner. Loads to prove. Clearly, the last two years of the, the, the time at Chelsea and his return to Leipzig haven't gone to plan. But listen, you don't score twenty odd goals in fifty odd games for Germany without being a top player. We know what his attributes are, his pace, his directness, his his non-stop work rate, as you say. It's it's a big test for Ange. If Ange gets the best out of Timo Werner, and he's only, what, 27? Werner should be in his prime. Then he'd be a real asset. Um, So, yes, I I completely agree. I I think I like the fact that they've gone early in in the January window. I think you're right when I think you said that started a, a show that it's going to be a really difficult window for a lot of teams. They seem to be doing good business already. And again, you're absolutely correct. There are vulnerable teams above them, you know, Arsenal included. You know, I expect Liverpool and City to fight it out, and then you know, position three, four, five— anyone's guess, really.
0: The great story this week, really, um, was that Jordan Henderson. You know, looking to to perhaps um, get out of Saudi and come back to to Europe, either in the Premier League or or another European club. Clearly, not enjoying his time in Saudi Arabia. And listen, I've seen quite not a lot of analysis, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here with you with you, Danny, here, because a lot of analysis saying, well, it serves him right. Basically, you know, he won't get much sympathy. And you know what? If he comes back to the Premier League he knows what he's in for basically he'll get booed each week that that's a given because it has been a controversial move because he was so outspoken ahead of the world cup about you know about human rights before um the, the tournament was played in Qatar then he goes to Saudi i mean it doesn't didn't sit well you know he was clearly and I, uh, you know i know this from, from from you know from from things that really people that have spoken to him about he was he was adamant he could make a difference in saudi it hasn't worked I'll be honest with you. I think that was quite a naive approach. I think it was never going to work. But almost is it brave to admit you've got it wrong and basically you've got it horribly, horribly wrong and basically after six months you've got to come back because the easier thing would be to just to stay there, sit there and basically, you know, he's got a big fat contract. He's never going to get that replicated anywhere he goes from now on. he could lose money, we're told. I read that basically from, from his Saudi contract, if he does, you know, quit on it early, if he's allowed to go, we should stress. So where do, you, where do you stand, Andy? And where do you think also he will be received amongst, you know, English and Premier League football fans?
1: Um, I think you're right. I don't think he'll be well received when he comes back because of uh, of what you said, because of the perceived hypocrisy. I think it's fascinating, you know. I, I, I wonder, and I've read a lot about it, as you well know, and, and I just... I. I just think what what made him it, it it sounds like the it sounds like the Mrs. Merton question, doesn't it? You know, what face attracted you to the millionaire Paul Daniels or, or whatever. It's you know, what face attracted Jordan Henderson to Saudi Arabia? You know, let's ignore all the guff about making a difference, that's absolute nonsense. We all know that. What attracted him was a salary that, even by footballing terms, is outlandish. And bear in mind Jordan Henderson has earned good money in his career, but bear in mind Jordan Henderson his qualities and his attributes are normally those that you would associate with the really, really outlandish salaries. You know, he, he, he's, a, he, he's, he's a dynamic, hardworking, um, functional in a way, leader of, of a midfield and has been well rewarded accordingly. But you never thought, he must have never thought, well, someone's going to offer me, let's just say, we don't know exactly how much, but let's put a ballpark figure of half a million pounds a week. I mean, and it's just, So it's just incredible, incredible money that he's gone for. However, John Henderson is from a footballing hotbed, you know, where football means everything to the community um, in the Northeast. He played in an equally, um, an an equal footballing hotbed, his football in Merseyside, where football meant everything to the community. He's gone to play in a place where, quite honestly, it means nothing, you know. What it means is a, a means to an end for for Saudi to to try and um, establish themselves as some sort of global player in sport, which they with, which they which they which they're doing with great um, enthusiasm. So he's found it. He's going. What would really, really, you know, he's gone out there. He's playing. He's playing football matches in front of 600, 700 people when he's thirty three years of age, and he's looking probably at players. Back here, with the, I mean, you mentioned Thiago Silva before his 39 playing, you know, playing in cup semi-finals in front of, you know, a fantastic crowd. Mills Brett will be a fantastic crowd at Chelsea. That's just one example. There's so many players now in the 30s playing football at the highest level in the Premier League and in Europe. And in Europe, don't forget, you know, we, we, we don't have to go back long before, you know, Benzema, ironically, now out there was, was ripping up the Real Madrid. Um, and he must be thinking now, you, you know, that must just be... While your bank account is getting outrageously swollen. It must be soul destroying to go out and play your football in front of you know, as I say, I mean three figure crowds. Okay, at home, at home, I'll let you back again, 6,000, six thousand, seven thousand, you know, and and obviously they're not playing well, and I suspect Steven Gerrard probably won't last that long. You know, they're on a bit of a winter break now. They come back mid February. He loses a few more games. Um, then I think the winless in eight, aren't they? Or something like that. Um, then I think probably Steven Gerrard. The writing will be on the wall for him. And it's just been an incredibly ill-fated exercise. Ill-fated to the extent that, you know, he will still be very well remunerated for it. So in a way, I don't feel sorry for him. Of course, you don't feel sorry for him. But I just wonder what made him think ever, from a footballing point of view, from a personal point of view, it was a good idea. I, I really don't. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, will he be welcome back? Listen... Again, I go, I've go. i just gone through, you know, I've said about players who, who are doing jobs at the age mid-30s, early 30s. He's 33. Um, do I think that he can come back and play for one of the, what we would call, you know, big six or big seven, if we include Newcastle now, teams? No, he can't. He really can't. You just have to look how Liverpool have moved on without him. No coincidence that he goes... And Fabiano goes, and and, and they've they looked a different proposition this season. So no, there's no room for him in one of those clubs. But but could he do you know lower half of the table? Yeah, I, I don't see why not. And he'd get over the initial backlash, wouldn't
0: he? Yeah, he would. He would. He would. He's a good. He's a good. He's a good guy who I think has made a mistake. To be honest with you, but but there you go. And 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 almost in that mood, we always take uh, messages and and comments from out. There's Annie Horton there saying, "I could never really think bad things about Jordan," which I think, which I think, kind of sums sums it up really. The other, the other interesting thing out of this window, apart from the Jordan Henderson saga, Andy, is that basically, and I think Martin Samuel raised this in a column in the Times the other day, and other people sort of said so before as well. It's a strange situation when clubs have got money, but are not allowed to spend it. And now, listen, I'm not. You know, massively advocating a kind of you know crazy window like we had last year, which was a record-breaking window, eight hundred and thirty million pounds spent last January. Um, it, it broke all barriers. But this this year feels so different. You know, I think what are the reasons behind that? The Reasons may be because everyone went for it in the summer. The Af- Afcon has got to be a, a you know a significant factor. You're going to lose six weeks of the value of doing a transfer in January anyway similar with um, uh, the Asia Cup. Um, and, and and you know, lots of clubs are up to their limit in terms of contract, in terms of fees. You know, lots of clubs in that similar situation, whether it be, you know, Arsenal, uh, Chelsea have got to watch it a little bit, I think. You know, maybe could do a little bit more than perhaps they're, they're suggesting that than we think. Let's see. You know, and, uh, you know, Newcastle, I, I think are in a sort of a strange situation as well. It is flipping it on its head, right? Is that healthy for for the Premier League? There's been so much talk, isn't there, about kind of Everton busting through those PSR rules and, and, and you know, financial fair play. We want the Premier League to be the best, to remain the best. So are we setting the right limits? Are we set, setting the right spending controls? The bottom line is, the bottom line is that the these rules are
1: rules that have been agreed upon by all 20 Premier League clubs. You know, so it's not like, I understand all the arguments about you know the, the rights and wrongs of financial fair play or profit and sustainability rules, as they're called now, but these were imposed, these are agreed by, by all 20 clubs. No one, no one, it's not an independent regulator or someone else who's imposing this upon the Premier League. It's themselves. It's self-regulation. So they... They have voted for it. They've come up with the figures, um, and they have to abide by them. And I don't think it's a particularly bad thing. And don't forget also, the other argument there about, you know, we can just go and spend what we want, um, um, but we can't, and that puts us at a disadvantage to other clubs maybe in Europe. That's not true, of course, because all of the Europe's big leagues have similar um, profits and sustainability sustainability rules themselves. So it doesn't make much difference there. Well, you know, I, I do like the idea that it brings, when you say there's money to spend and et cetera, et cetera, yes. But I like the idea that you, I understand both sides. I understand the limitations of financial fair play where someone at Everton, for example, like Mishiri, comes in and, and spends an awful lot of money, wants to transform the club. The signings don't work out, which means he's got players who aren't worth X amount he's lost loads of money in terms of their depreciation and then falls foul of these rules and gets deducted 10 points. I'm not, I, I don't think that's particularly fair. However, I do see, um, an argument which says that, you know, if you've got these rules in place, if you, there's a skill to abide in by these rules. So rather than just stockpiling players and then putting more players on top of players, wherever, if so let's, let's say, for example, the argument, I know the argument, um, Demar and Sam wrote in his column about Mbappe, that Newcastle could afford him, United Cup, but they can't under the rules. Well, they could if they got rid of X, 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 and X. So for example, if Manchester United, you know, hadn't spent 72 million pounds on Rasmus Hoyland, a striker who's struggling to score goals, if they hadn't spent 84 million pounds on Anthony, you know, a winger who can't beat people, if they hadn't spent fifty odd million pounds on Mason Mount, who was barely featured, and the associated wages that go with that, then they could afford that within the structure. So, you know, I, I do, I do almost like the idea that you have to operate within a certain structure, and as I say that structure has been agreed by Premier League clubs. Um, so, if everyone abides by the rules, it is to a certain extent a level playing field. Apart from, of course, the obvious difference being. The clubs are the top end: United, City, Chelsea, Liverpool. They have far more income um, in which to balance the books by. But overall, it, it's a tough one. You, you know, I just don't think you should be allowed just because you've got all that money. You've come, you've come up with the rules. Then you should stick by them. Whether the rules are fair or not, then that that that's that's what those twenty clubs need to debate the next time they get round the table in some plush London hotel.
0: Now listen, we're 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 at Man United, Spurs, the pair of us on Sunday. Um, wow, feels a big game for Spurs, big opportunity in the winter break to kind of you know basically sort of kind of get leapfrog their way into the into the top four. They could make a statement with that, but also for Man United. I mean, <laughs> you were there when you were Wigan on Monday night. It was me. Yeah, just defrosting them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where, where are Man United? You know, where are Man United this season? And, and you know, who's going to win on Sunday? Are United kind of going to make any rally? Have they got any chance of top four, stroke Europe this season? You know, I mean, if they, if they do have a good second half of the season, of course they can do it. But have they got any chance of that?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think they have. You know, I, I think they have. You know, I, I, I'm, but then I've said this all season. I think. You know, there's so many faults in Manchester United. It, it's untrue. However, I just think there's a there's a good team in there somewhere. There's a good performance in there somewhere. You know, I, I, again, I, I, it's hard to call Sunday because I genuinely think, you know, they played quite well at Burnley. You know, and okay, eh, not Burnley, Wigan. They played quite well at Wigan, but obviously they should do against the league one side, a struggling league one side at that. But I just think there's somewhere there's a performance in them. I like Garnaccio, for example. And if he can get blended, Rashford can find a form, Hoyland can find some sort of scoring and such, and Garnaccio, I think, is a real asset. So I think, I think if you've got those three, that's going to be a test of 10 horse coaching. Get them in, in harness, get them working together. They've got a team. I think Bruno Fernandes, much maligned at the moment. I still, I still think he's one of the best midfielders in the country. Um, as I say, there's a lot of other stuff aligned and whatever. I just think that you know they can't find the right combination. They don't seem to have the urgency. You know, I was at Wigan, but I was also at Forest when they were beating a Forest. But again, And for 45 minutes, they were they were dreadful. They were absolutely dreadful. Didn't get on the front foot. I just think if they can get on the front foot, um, he can get his best team out, wherever his best team is, I still think they're capable. I mentioned earlier that I think that Liverpool and City will pull away. And uh, those next two places, and it could well be three, of course, for the Champions League, two, uh, three, four, and five, are up for grabs. And I think United could easily make that late push. And I do think they'll be... They, they, they might get, do some business in the transfer window, but they they need to sort a couple of things out long-term. I mean, they need to sort the Sancho future out, the Anthony future out to a certain extent as well. Um, and I suspect they'll probably be next season. But he needs a good second half of the season, whether they get top four or not. And then I think he'll be given the summit, and then they'll go again.
0: Right, let's finish on Fcon, because it starts on uh, the weekend. And I'll tell you what, it, it calls for a nomination, please, of your favourite, and I'll start, if you like, basically of your African player um, who's had a big influence on the Premier League stroke English football. And I'm going to go Didier Drogba. I think Didier Drogba was absolutely fantastic for Chelsea, a decade of dominating opposing defences, fantastic diplomat in football, um, you know, both beyond the beyond the football pitch, basically always has a powerful message, always made a difference, you know, so revered um, in his country and for what he does for, for his nation. What a spectacular player. You know, I remember him struggling in that first season, you know, sort of adjusting, I think, to the style of English football, the way it was played. I and mean, from then on, he just got better and better and better. Trophies galore. You know, Champions League, Premier League, he absolutely won a lot. And I think when you're talking about all-time greats um f- from Africa and basic what they've done in English football, then Didier Dropper's right at the top for me. What a player. And classy guy too. Absolute top man.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I- I'd say the same about, and um, I, I think we saw them both together at a recent function, Um, Yaya Toure. I mean, for me, Yaya Toure was... And I think remains, you know, a lot of people will will remember and will think about Yaya Tori's agent, for example, and and saying that he didn't, Yaya didn't get the recognition that, that he deserved. Um, and I think he's right. You know, I Manchester City fans would argue that he did. Is he up there in the top 10 Manchester City players of all time? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I think he was as influential a player in City's um, modern day um success as anyone and a really nice guy great football and family a family touched by tragedy um and i've always found him great to deal with and a player who as i say was was often um you know just characterized as a box-to-box powerful midfielder but had so much more than that so much more than that um and just was was a great representative of all the brilliant things that the African footballers have brought to the
0: Premier League. Yeah, absolutely fabulous. Yeah, They're two two great, great players. Brilliant, Andy. Thanks so much. Great to see you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Yeah, We will see you at Old Trafford Sunday. Really looking forward to it.